Good job, Nick. What's hey, happening, Nick? Hey, hey, how's it going? Thank y'all for having me. You're very welcome. We're stoked to have you on tonight, man. And, and I tell you what, G Avina, her her timing is impeccable. Yeah, you know that's that she she was our connection to you, and then here she goes popping on the 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 intuition. Vina, there was just it's just on fire, right? You just knew. You just knew this was the place to be. Her, her spidey sense was going off. I, I popped in here and then she texted me. She's like, are you speaking to that? I was like, yes, I am. Are you in here? She's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I love that, man. I love when that happens. Yeah, we're, we're stoked to have you, Nick, man. And um, we're going to launch into some amazing things, but we're, and we're super happy that you could be here with us tonight. Help us all get activated. Our community can meet you, get to know you a little bit better. And, um, and to understand, you know, who you are on a personal and professional level and see if we can create a lot of win-wins down the road. But first, we always like to start off with, who is Nick the Lawyer? Before he was the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Nick the Lawyer before the lawyer was Nick probably the, I'd say Nick the curious, curious person. Um, that's something about me, always been very, very curious. And so being a lawyer, being an entrepreneur, being curious helps me excel in that in many ways. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Nick, Nick, where where are you from originally? So originally, what, what was your yeah, what was your kind of upbringing like and how, and how in the world did real estate and law and all that kind of come into your, you know, into your thought process and, you know, how you headed down this path? Yeah, so I'm originally born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, so it's about 30 minutes south of Seattle. Um, all my family is there. Uh, my family, uh, both sides were in the military. And so that's kind of what brought my family there. But all my aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, my grandma, all my family still is there. I'm the only one that kind of got away. Um, but yeah, so grew up there. Uh, all our family was pretty close. We all live within like 10 minutes of each other. So I, I hang out with my cousins all the time. Um, but as far as kind of how I got into real estate and got into um, law, um, I think part of it was just, you know, I grew, my uh, dad was a blue collar worker. He was a machinist at Boeing. So he helped kind of build some portion of the planes. Um, but we were not wealthy by any means. And there were times as well that we, we struggled. And one thing that always stuck out to me is that my dad would always say, you know, don't work for anybody else. Don't work for anybody else. Um, and it taught him telling that taught me a couple of things. One, um, he it was great to see that he was doing what he had to do, even though he didn't like it. He's like, I got to do this for my family. So, you know, he, he, he worked for somebody else. But at the same time, he is basically instilling in me, don't make the mistakes that I made. Kind of set yourself up to do something different because um, as you guys are doing freedom, we want freedom, right? And so yes. um, even though I couldn't necessarily articulate that when I was younger, I could always tell and kind of feel that he was just kind of felt kind of stuck or wasn't doing what he wanted and, and fulfilling you know, his dreams and his goals and his purpose. And so that was something that was just always in the back of my mind that someday at some point, somehow, didn't really know how, but I was going to be working for myself um, so that I didn't, um, one, so that I could provide for my family like my dad did, but also so that I wasn't in that kind of stuck place doing something that I have to do be, and to take care of my responsibilities versus doing something that I want to do and I love that's going to help me take care of my responsibilities. I love that. I love that. So so what was the real kind of when you were, let's say, junior high, high school ish age, what was the real kind of turning point where you kind of set your compass in a serious way that kind of, uh, you know, set your trajectory to get you where you are right now? 
Yeah, so I was always a pretty good student. Um, and actually, it's weird, it's moving forward a little bit, in college is when I actually had to learn how to learn. Because um, And when I was younger, elementary school through junior high, I was able to just kind of pick things up and, you know, got pretty good grades. I didn't have straight A's. And I probably, I couldn't have if I tried. I was just like, oh, I get this stuff. I know what I need to know. And if I get a B plus, that's, that's fine. So I always did decent in school and could uh, kind of pick things up. And the, the first kind of thought about law school came from, or being a lawyer in general, came, there was a show, uh, I think I was in like eighth or ninth grade, and there's a show called The Practice. I mean, it would come on Sunday nights, and it's yeah. like a small law firm, they're mainly did criminal law. Um, but I loved that show. And my dad was like, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, you can be one. And again, I always, I always did pretty well in school, uh, but I never thought I was like one of those like super smart people. And so when he said that, he's like, or I was like, yeah, no, that's for like smart people. Like now, years later, I've learned being lawyer is not necessarily for smart people. I know lots of non-smart ones, but nevertheless. <laughs> Make like, sure we steer clear from those, Nick. <laughs> Make right. sure we stay away from those. <laughs> but, but at the time I was like, oh, that's for smart people. And my dad, this is another thing that like really uh, stuck with me. And it's the cliche, you can be whatever you want. But he was like, no, if you want to do that, you can do that. It's going to be hard. You might have to work for it. But if it's something that you want to do, then you can get there and you can do that, whether it's for smart people or not. And so that's kind of where just the first bug of law kind of got into my mind. Um, for the real estate side, I just always loved looking at buildings, architecture. Didn't want to necessarily be an architect, but I just was like, especially when we go downtown and you see the you know skyscraper, I'd be like, wow. And you know, I just had it in my mind, you know, one day, like maybe I'd want to have my name on one of those buildings or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, just kind of a, just out there. I just like, that's cool. You get like a big sign and all that sort of stuff. And so that's kind of where the real estate will sort of start turning. Again, had no idea that, you know, oftentimes that's just the biggest leaseholder. It doesn't mean necessarily own it or anything like that. But nonetheless, seeing the, just seeing that it's something you can see, it's big. And so that kind of got me excited about the real estate space. And that that started when I was like very young. And I didn't really know how it was going to play out. But I just always loved looking at those big buildings. And, and so as I got older, I was like, oh, I can kind of be involved with working in or owning or acquiring those big buildings. Trevor, that's amazing. Let's, let's, let's raise some money for a big building, a, bit, a big billboard, downtown LA that says, just blame Nick. <laughs> that's right. That's, and then we got, we got to throw his Instagram handle at the bottom, right? <laughs> I love it. And then the, the, you have this awesome picture. I love it. It's like where I think you said it also. We have like the hat, you know, and you're like, like this, <laughs> that one, just blame Nick. And then you nick the lawyer, you know, for all your uh, real estate uh, leads, something like that. <laughs> I, need, I need to hire y'all as my marketing team. I love it. <laughs> We got it. We got our marketing hot uh, hat on right now, Nick. We're trying to make some major moves in that in that area. So that wheel is definitely turning in our brain. <laughs> nice. Okay, so Nick, so so you went to school, you went to college, right? And and then how I guess how did things unfold after that? And and what was I guess the, the biggest takeaway from you during that? I mean, college was extremely a, a transformative time for me, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming probably the case is similar to you, right? So talk about mindset growth, talk about mindset shift to allow you to grow and develop to have the success that you've had today in, my goodness, so many areas, academics, law, real estate, you know, probably many others that we aren't aware about. Could you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, so one big thing you know, with many people in college, just the relationships that I had, that was more than anything, more than all the stuff that I learned, the relationships I built were the, the most valuable thing that I, that I got there. Um, and so with one of those relationships, one of my really good friends who I've actually done business with, still one of my best friends today, um, he taught me to take risks. You know, growing up, um, we had I had very much had a scarcity mindset before that was even kind of the buzzword. Um, but just growing up, we didn't have much. And so we always had to save. We had to conserve. We had to try to move a uh, plan three moves ahead just in case something, whatever bad happens, because um, that's kind of just the, the how I grew up. And so I had one friend that he grew up the same way or his family also struggled. But he was like, I'm going to make it and I'm going to take risks. And, you know, if I fail, I'm, I'm especially him, he's like, I'm young. If I fail, I'm just going to keep going. And so we were kind of good working together because I was the very risk averse. He was the one who was probably taking a little bit too much risk. <laughs> working together and kind of fighting it out over the things made us um, a, a good uh, duo. And so, yeah, learning to take risk, getting out of the scarcity mindset, which I, you know, I'm not even going to say that I got out of it in college. I'm not even going to say that I'm absolutely out of it now, um, but at least started moving towards and realizing it and saying, wait, I don't have to be so risk averse. There is more out there. I can go for these things. Just like my dad told me a long time ago, I can do or be whatever I want to. And so having that friend that was really out there taking risks um, really helped kind of open my mind and say, you know what? this kind of cookie cutter. And again, this is not throwing any shame on anybody for the path that they take at all. Um, but for me, I was like, this is not what, this is not going to get me where I want to be. This is not the life that I envisioned for myself. And in order to get there, there are going to be some risks that I have to take. And uh, so, yeah, one of my really good friends in college kind of taught me. And, and even as I, uh, after college, again, we were taking those risks in business together. And I'd say that was one of the big things that helped kind of change the trajectory is to, to really be comfortable in starting to take some of those risks. I love that, Ro. I love, could, could you unpack maybe a couple of those initial risks where it was just like, dang, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I'm going for it because I know potentially this could get me to this level and propel me to, in this direction. Yeah, I mean, even just starting my firm, you know, I I graduated in 2009 from law school. So the economy, we think the economy is not good now. Go back then, it was way worse. That's um, right. And so I was graduating at a time where, you know, other lawyers that had been working for two or three years, they're getting laid off and they're competing for the same jobs that I was competing for. And so even, you know, even in law school, I, you know, have that idea that I'm at some point I'm going to be working for myself. And so my plan originally was to work for two or three years for a firm, get a little bit of experience, and then open my own firm. And so typically in law school, your second year summer, you, you, ha you have a paid internship, and then you're hoping they give you a job offer so that you have a job when you graduate. And so I did that. I got the job offer. But how the economy worked out, by the time I graduated, that office had folded, and they said, you're great. Wow. So you none of us have jobs, so we don't have one to give to you either. And so, uh, and this, this is one thing that actually helped me even more so realize, okay, you got to take risks because I was doing the, you know, thing that's supposed to be a safe bet, going to law school, get the internship, get the job offer, and you're going to be okay. And I did all that and I wasn't okay. And so that helped me open up even more and say, you know what, this thing trying to play it safe, I can end up in the same place playing it safe as I could if things go bad when I take a risk. So maybe I should try to take the risk because the upside is going to be way, way higher uh, taking the risk. 
And so about a year had gone by and I was kind of doing some consulting work, uh, applying for all these jobs that I didn't want. Uh, in the meantime, I knew that this firm was going to open at some point. And so I was like working on a website, you know, reading about how to run a law firm and things like that. And I had gotten back from one of my consulting gigs and it was paying, at least at the time, was very well, more money than I had really made. Um, but I would work like maybe three or four weeks for them and then not have a project for a couple of months and then work three or four weeks. But it's enough to kind of tide me over. Um, so I get back from a project and I was kind of the only one working on that project. And I made good money, but I saw how much the company I was working for made and, I, and they weren't even there. And so I was like, wait, <laughs> like, I thought I was doing well. And they did, you know, multiples better halfway across the country, not even doing any of the work. And so I said, you know what? Uh, maybe I should try and see if I can go about this on my own. Um, because, you know, even if I get a smidgen of what they were getting and it's all mine, then I'm going to be doing much better. And so that kind of pushed me. Again, I was like 26 at the time. All my friends were kind of fresh out of college. They can't afford lawyers. I don't know any really anybody that can afford lawyers, but here I am going to start a law firm nonetheless. <laughs> um, but it worked out. And wow. you know, I got, I lucked out. And again, one of the reasons that I didn't talk about relationships so much, because if I look at a lot of the pivotal times in my life, the way that I was able to you know, level up or get through it was based upon relationships. And it's not like I'm using people, but it just happens to be where I'm in a position where I need something and somebody that I know has what I need and they're willing to give it or vice versa. And so this is another scenario um, where I you know, opened my law firm, you know, press publish on the website on say a Monday, and then sure enough, one of my good friends, one of y'all might know her, her name rhymes with Ina and starts with a V. Uh, she, <laughs> she calls me on like a Wednesday and it's like, hey, you do real estate law, right? And I was like, why, yes, I do. Uh, even though I hadn't fully really done a whole lot yet, but I was like, yeah, I do. And she was like, great. Well, um, we just fired our real estate attorney. So I'm gonna have my boss bring you in to see you know, what, can, what can happen. And so that ended up being one of my very first clients. And that was one of the clients that kind of helped me in the first couple of years that I'm building up um, a lot of, uh, you know, client base and that sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, that again, it showed me that, you know, one, if you don't take the risk, you can still fail, so to speak. Um, and then two, take the risk. And I, and even more so now, I've very much gotten into like mindset and my wife says it's like foofy, foofy, whatever, but um, you know, that manifestation <laughs> really claiming, say, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Um, cause you know, opening the firm that for me, that was an example of it. I opened it up and three days later I had a client that was at least able to pay my rent and stuff. And that to me does not happen to many people, but it's because I took that risk, risk. I put it out there and said, this is what I'm going to do. And then universe responded back in kind. Let's go. Let's go. Can we put some fires in the chat for Nick <laughs> for rolling the dice, rolling the dice, taking the risk, going all in, believing in himself even though I'm sure it was probably a little bit shaky there, right? Oh, there was a lot of doubt. <laughs> but you went for belief, it. Belief with an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Totally. Let's get some fires in the chat. I, I love that. And you, you, obviously, the, the, you capitalize on that moment, right? Vina, 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 which, by the way, Vina, can we bring you on really quick? Are you – can we bring her on? Let's unmute her. It's like a role model for you. There we go. There we go. Vina, is there anything you wanted to add to that story there when you and Nick's pass 
intersected the first time. You know how you have moments that you like regret in your history? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I do. Uh, <laughs> that so wasn't one of was them. Probably like a top three moment for me. No, uh, but for real, I, I have had the pleasure of working alongside him both in corporate and then, you know, when I went off and started on my own thing. And he's the one who really taught me how to scale legally, right? Like, I, I didn't know why I needed an attorney, but I just knew I probably needed one. And so having friends like this that you maybe, and you probably know people in your Rolodex now or that will be in your Rolodex. So you're like, oh, okay, I can't really see how it fits together now, but eventually it will happen, right? Or it could happen. So that's why I always talk to everybody like they're a potential investor. They might not be today, but they could be in the future. And, you know, the same way, Nick, I didn't know he was going to end up being like one of the hottest syndication attorneys. And I'm like, I'm so glad I got in on the ground floor because he has to answer my calls. <laughs> Otherwise, right. like he's just so busy all the time. And so, but I, I think like just watching it, and I think we both have kind of gone into like this whole mindset thing kind of around similar times, which has been kind of cool. Cause that was like 14 years ago, 13 years ago, Nick, that was a long time ago. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. We've That's known awesome. each other for a minute, but I can Thank confirm you, he is being truthful. Good. <laughs> no, no, yeah, guys, it, it also showcases you, you talked 13, 14 years ago, right? How long you guys have been working on this. You know, there's mm -hmm. so many people, right. That look at this. Let me try this. It's shiny. I'm going to go at it. And after two months, they're like, oh, it's hard. Why am I not successful yet? Guys, look, 13, 14 years, right? That's a long time. Heck, I was in high school back then, by the way, guys. Oh, know. my gosh. <laughs> I, Nick, we're old. That's what you just said to us. <laughs> but said, but no, no. What I, old. It's, 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 it's for real, though, because, I mean, I, I can tell even in our community, right? Like when we started this, we have people like Ify, for example, right? Perfect example. I love bringing her up because she's been there. She's been left, right, other communities, you know, learning and still moving forward, con constant progress. And then there's others, you know, that scream like, yeah, I'm going to be the next big syndicator. And then it's like, you never see them again anymore. Ooh, and it's hey, hard. Hey. It's. Yeah, it's 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 the <laughs> truth, just, right? That's my German cold hard truth. Boom, bam. <laughs> but it's yeah. the truth. And it's true, it's hard, right? I mean, I, I tell this every week here. It's not easy, you know. One can make it look easy on the IG and everything, right? But man, it's tough. It's tough. It's hard. But mm -hmm. I keep rolling. You can see it 13, 14 years. Amazing. I mean, I wish I had this Zoom call when I started. It made it a lot easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you were in yeah. high school, so. I would, exactly. I if you would have seen me the time you started, you would have not want me to lead a Zoom call for you to plug in and try to get something out of it. That's the truth. <laughs> I love it. You guys, you guys say that you guys are lucky that you guys met each other, right? But do you think luck is actually a skill? So I think luck is actually a skill because luck is when what? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So if you were prepared and you did everything. You did everything to your maximum potential. Opportunities come. You guys can capitalize on that. So luck is luck is a skill, and there was if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? 
I agree. I love that. That was like the mic drop. So yeah. there it is. <laughs> that's what there Victor is. does. He's quiet the whole time. He just like then finishes up like. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He makes all of his words count. He exactly. sure does. Vina, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're trying to you know, get settled there at your house and things like that. So we promise thanks. we won't bother you anymore. <laughs> no worries. I'm here to help. Feel, feel free to raise your hand when you object, right? <laughs> I will. I'm watching. That's why I'm listening intently. She's not shy at all. We all know that. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I, I think just in our few minutes with, with Nick tonight, you know, not all real estate attorneys are as uh, as pleasant as Nick is, you know, if you go to his website, it says relationships first, right? So, so just to have access to Nick and his team, to have somebody at, that operates on such a high level and yet is so personable and pleasant to interact with, I think it's just, it's, it's probably, uh, you're a, a rare breed out there, Nick. So I would say, again, another reason why we're extremely thankful to, to have you tonight and, and thankful to Vina as well. That was the bridge that connected us and you, um, I think this is a great segue because now we, we've got into you started your firm. All right. And could you just elaborate a little bit? Okay. What your firm is, the different services that you can provide um, that could benefit, you know, people out there that are trying to succeed in the multifamily space. Yeah. So we are a, a transactional law firm, meaning that we only deal with, you know, documents, agreements, that sort of stuff. We're not in court litigating, fighting, suing people, anything like that. Um, we work in the areas primarily of real estate transactions, so we help with uh, acquisitions. Uh, we also do the bulk of our work is with uh, syndication and zip securities. So when you're raising capital to try to get those to try to acquire that real estate asset, uh, we help you make sure that you raise that lawfully so you can keep the SEC away. Uh, then we also help with just kind of general business uh, contract drafting, entity formation, that sort of stuff as well. Amazing. Amazing. And, and if somebody wanted to reach out with an inquiry, Nick, obviously they, they're going to have the opportunity tonight to interact with you live and in person. But moving forward outside of this Zoom, if anybody wanted to reach out to Polymath Legal and explore maybe how they could utilize your services, junior team services, what would be the best way to do that? Best way is to go to our website, polymathlegal.com. And I saw you drop it in the in the chat. Um, on there, you can you'll see our phone number. You can uh, email us directly from the website. And you also can uh, schedule with us directly as well on there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, with, with our audience here tonight, I'm assuming probably there's a wide spectrum uh, of experience in, in real estate. Of course, Vina is probably in the, the upper echelon, the upper, upper echelon of experience. And then you have folks like the Freedom Boys here that are still pretty green in the game, but we just, we're doing the best that we can. And then everything in between. So what would you say, well, let's jump into a little bit of kind of real estate legal stuff 101, right? Like, what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about? What are some of the things that, that it's helpful for syndicators to at least fundamentally start being educated on so we can just have intelligent conversations and not find ourselves, you know, you know, in any kind of like hitting any potholes along the way? I think a good, good thing to start is I see it already in the chat is what, what is a syndication? Okay, yeah. So what is a syndication? That's good. So essentially with syndication, we are pooling capital together. So, so we're, we're bringing our money together for a project. Um, and a lot of people think syndication is a super formal thing. And there are some formalities to it. But really, it's, it's that simple. Anytime we're pooling capital together for a project, I'd say it's a very, very, very good chance we're doing a syndication. 
So you can, the first syndication that I did for a client was for a movie project. So they had a script and they said, hey, we need like 800 grand to make this movie. And so we set up a syndication so they could raise the capital to fund, fund the film. The second syndication that I did was for a winery. It was a family owned winery and the family was not super business savvy. So one of the brothers was taking over and he's like, look, we need some money. Otherwise we're all gonna lose the whole winery. And so we set up a syndication to where we sold off a portion of the winery, at least the profit interests, um, so the winery could make renovations and kind of make new offerings. Um, you know, I always say basketball teams are bought through syndication. Um, really, any anything you can think of, uh, if we we're trying to raise capital and we're bringing it together, syndication can be the vehicle uh, that we use to do that. Um, so yeah, it's just raising capital as a group, essentially. And so uh, I had the same question as Vina there, actually. Did the film make money? I don't know, actually. I, I don't know if it was ever even actually created. <laughs> then probably I, not, I'm, if I'm you don't know. I'm a syndication attorney. <laughs> so I, I stopped. I got up to where they could raise the capital. Then it was, it was on there. That means uh, you didn't saw, watch it. So it probably didn't make money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, most films don't make money. Let's just be real. <laughs> right, fair enough. All right, keep going, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I'd say one of the big things uh, for if we're doing like 101 you wanna be concerned about is understanding when you need to have someone like me and when you are falling under, under the purview of the SEC. And so essentially, I kind of said, you know, if we're pulling capital together, you, your, your red flag and your radar should go up. Um, if you have passive investors, your red flag should be going way, way, way up because it's very likely that you're selling a security. Um, a, a short little test we use is we say if there is an investment of money, yeah, uh, Jonathan put it in there, the Howie test, that's exactly it. So if there's an investment of money into a common enterprise with an expectation of profit, primarily from the work of someone else. So we're investing money, uh, so we're paying money into a common enterprise, we're pulling it together into the same company. Uh, if you're investing, most likely you're expecting profit, so that's the third one. And then the fourth one is um, with an expectation of profit from uh, the primarily from the work of someone else. And so think of your limited partners, as you call them, your passive investors. They're expecting that profit primarily from your work, which likely means that we meet the Howey test, which says you're selling a security. And so if you are selling a security, you either have to register that security, such as a, a IPO, a public offering, or you must find an exemption from registration. So that's where we come in, is that we try to figure out, you know, what are your goals? Uh, what are the parameters that you're trying to complete this project in? And then which exemptions might apply to help you meet your goals while also being compliant with the law? So a good example, Nick, and I know everybody is always asking, what's the difference between the JV and the syndication, right? Like the, how, and you, you basically said it with the Howie test, right? But to give it an example, if Victor, Trevor, and myself find a deal making this up, costs a million dollars, right? And we all say, we're gonna have to bring $300,000 to the table, making up these numbers. And all of us say, we all bring $100,000 to the table. Trevor, you're gonna do this. Victor, you do the accounting. Marcel, you yell at the manager. You know, you all have your specific roles in the deal, right? That Very would then be- Very fitting for you, by the way. <laughs> what? Very fitting for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I was I was thinking about what fits for Trevor and usually because Trevor and our team, he's taking on all the, you know, in, in the capital raise and all the investor relations and all that kind of stuff that he's building out right now. And that wouldn't fit the argument now with the JV, right? So I was <laughs> like, uh, Trevor does something else. <laughs> but long <laughs> yeah. story short, 
that that would then be more so a JV. Is that correct, or would that maybe also fall into the to the aspect of a syndication? So I'm going to give you the favorite lawyer answer. It depends, but I'll follow it up with that. So it does depend. We'd want to look at the very specific facts of the situation. But what you said sounds like it would be a, a joint venture. And the main reason for that is that all three of you were active in that. So you might have been investing money, but you weren't primarily expecting that uh, return of profit from the work of someone else. It's going to be from your work and other people's work as well. Exactly. I just wanted to sure. give some some people an, an, an example for that, right? Because it, it's so easy, I feel like, to misunderstand that. And it's and like you said, it's always kind of it depends. So example an example in that case well, I think was was good and helpful. Appreciate that. Yeah. Nick, where does private money lenders come into this whole equation and and, and thought process? When what uh, give me a, an example of what you're saying when you say private money lender? I think I do, but I've I've heard of different kind of contexts that people use that, and so I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're 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 passive in the deal. We'll say that. I know red flags should go up, but it's like, hey, here's my money, and then based off this lending, these are the terms you're going to give me X amount of interest. You know, I, I should expect it. You know. Uh, that interest and 10% annualized, 12% annualized, maybe I get a couple of points off the money that I'm lending you, right? And then I should get, you know, the principal plus plus interest back by X date. Like that's, those are the kind of terms that we've agreed upon. Um, does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it sounds like that's essentially, that's a, a debt raise, right? It's, it's a, there's they're not getting equity are they they're getting a like a, a annualized return and that's it correct yeah that's right okay so one small point of clarification is that debt can still be a security um now the context that you said it it primarily would depend on the structure and kind of how many people are involved if we're talking about you know one lender that is uh having a promissory note and it's on title um, then that's likely going to fit an exemption and, and ex be excluded outside of the definition, even though it, it would check off all the boxes. Uh, if we're talking about a mortgage for um, for a real estate asset, many times that's um, an, an exemption all in of, of its own. Now, if it's instead you're saying, you know, uh, Trevor will get a you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in a promissory note from you, and Marcel will get some from you. And maybe you'll get some from me and a couple other people. And so there's multiple private money lenders. That probably would be a security um, that you're selling and you'd have to go through the process of having an exemption there. But if we're talking about one lender and it's a promissory note and it's recorded on title, in most cases that uh, falls outside of this. So, so a good example for that would be our $1 million deal again. We needed $300,000 and uh, I buy the deal and Trevor loans me $300,000 on a promissory note, which is secured against the asset that I'm purchasing, right? Then that would be essentially uh, an exemption, right? Because he's legitimately a lender, just like a bank essentially, right? I mean, same, same thing. Yes. Yeah. So in most cases that's excluded outside of this conversation. Yeah. Very interesting. I think, and I think these are the things that, that people always question and, I, I see actually in the single family space, it's interesting because nobody talks about SEC in the single family space. <laughs> That's and, right. And yeah. I know, you know, I've seen many deals going on there where people invest money, you know, and they say, I'm, I'm just the money guy, you know, I 
invest money in the deal. You invest sweat equity in the deal. Now, what, what do you say there, Nick, when somebody legitimately says, my value to the deal is I bring 100K, your value is you run the deal, and then we split the profits? You are going to have some potential issues there. Again, <laughs> we can look at you know the specific nuance of the situation. It may not be a problem, but if you're coming in saying, here's the money, I want to sit back, then at the very least, we were doing with something passive. And, you know, again, it's not the exact definition, but nine and a half times out of 10, if we have a passive investor, there's a good chance that we have ourselves a security, which again means that we need to register that security or have an exemption from registration. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, in the single family and even the multifamily space as well, but probably even more so in the single family space, I see a lot of people, they're doing things that if the SEC caught wind of it, they probably would have some issues. I think so too. But probably, probably the thing is, it's too much volume for for something to get picked out. But if you get picked out, then you have a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. No. It's, here's what I tell clients. I'm like, look, you're gonna pay me a whole bunch of money. We're gonna do all this work, and then we're gonna save it on a hard drive somewhere and hope that we never look at it again. Because if we're looking at it again, it means something's gone wrong. If something's gone wrong, we definitely want to have this. Um, but really, yeah, there it's, you know, I would say you don't need a lawyer until you do. There's not going to be an issue until it is. And, you know, the SEC is not knocking on everybody's door saying, let me see, have you sold a security? Let me see your stuff. That's not how it's how it's working. Typically, if the if you were to have an issue, it would likely be because um, an investor contacted the, the SEC. And so particularly in the current climate that we have, you know, the past five years, if you got into real estate, you're going to look like a rock star even if you don't know what you're doing because the market was just taking you up. Now we're going to see actually who is a real estate operator and we're going to start seeing yep. some things that don't quite go as well. And that's when I think you might start hearing more about some SEC investigations because before investors don't care, they're getting their money. They're they're killing their numbers. So why even if things are a little off, they're not going to you know uh, rock the boat. Uh, but now we might start, you know, I've, I've heard lots. I was just at a conference a week or two ago and everybody was talking about pausing distributions and that's kind of the first step. And so, and and I've been hearing also about there are some deals that are just kind of going bad and going to have a lot of issues. And so when you start you losing investors money, now they're going to say, wait, who can I contact to see about this? And if the SEC gets a call then, that's when they start looking into stuff. And that's when you open up that hard drive and hopefully have the documentation in place that you need to have. That's so important. man. And uh, well, let, let's think about it this way now, um, Nick. Let's say everyone here, I hope at least, somewhat understood when they need to, you know, start a syndication, when they need to contact a, a syndication attorney uh, su such as yours. Now they know, they contact you. What now? What now? So <laughs> I'd say one of the big things that you want to know, and you don't have to know this before you contact me, but... Um, particularly for real estate, um, the, one of the exemptions that works really well is Regulation D. And so within that, there's two subparts. And so you want to understand the concept of accredited investor and sophisticated investor. And accredited investor, there's multiple ways, but the typical way people that be, uh, show that they're accredited is through their income or their net worth. And so if we're talking about individuals and, go, and qualifying by income, it's somebody who's made 200,000 or more the past two years and expects to make that much or more this year. Um, if they're uh, if their spouses or spousal equivalents, then it's 300,000. 
Um, and then the other way is through your net worth. And so if your net worth is $1 million or more, excluding your primary residence, then you're accredited. So basically $200,000 or more income or net worth of $1 million or more, then you're accredited. So you're a higher earner or a higher net worth individual. And so with that, you can weather the storm a bit better if, if an investment doesn't go so well. Uh, we contrast that with sophisticated investors. These are people who are not accredited, uh, but based upon their current investments or past investments or their education or their work, or maybe working with a financial advisor, they possess the resources to determine, does this deal make sense for me? Um, so they can kind of figure out the, the merits and the risks of the deal. So um, that's sophisticated. So when you're thinking about raising capital, you want to have an idea of where do I think most of my network is, especially on your first deal, because your first deal, most of your investors are going to be people that you know, um, because, you know, if, if you're coming to me and I don't know you and it's your first deal, I'm probably going to say no, because I don't want to be the one that pays for your lessons for you to learn. Um, and it's okay. People make mistakes. Your first deal, the things you did, you know, on your first deal, you'll look at it 10 deals later and be like, oh my goodness, what was I doing? Uh, but nonetheless, most of your investors are going to be people that are in your network for your first couple of deals. And so you want to think about, okay, what does my network look like? Is it primarily accredited people? Is it some sophisticated? Is, a, is it a mix? Um, because that's going to help us determine what's, what is likely going to be the exemption, the exemption that you have. Additionally, um, say that you look and you see most of your network is not accredited. So you'd be going for some sophisticated investors. Um, that means if we're, if we're falling under Regulation D, you'd be doing a 506B, B as in boy deal. Um, with that, you must have a pre-existing substantial relationship with all of your investors. And so uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is that it, for somebody who's thinking about getting into this space and thinking about starting to raise at some point, um, expand your network right now. Because you have to, again, you have to have that pre-existing relationship. So if you have a deal on the table, once you have that deal on the table, you can't, and you're doing a 506B, somebody that you meet after that, they can't invest in that deal. So right now, while you're planning things out, while you're coming to things like this to get educated, also start meeting with people, expanding that network so that when you do have a deal, if you are willing to do a 506B, you can now say, look at all these people in my network that I have a pre-existing relationship with, um, and you'll be able to cast your net a little bit wider. Boom. And for everybody that's tried to take notes right now and probably fell behind of all the good information Nick was sharing, don't worry, we'll, we'll post the recordings on our YouTube channel. So I hope you listened earlier in the Zoom. Mm -hmm. Make sure to subscribe because that's where you'll be able to pause and write down all the info. So you're going to be all buttoned up on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. And if I'm going too fast, tell me to slow down. Sometimes I get oh, you're going perfect. and I'm just going and going and going. I even have to tell my students, I say, look, sometimes I get excited. So just raise your hand and say, hey, Professor Nick, slow down a little bit. And We uh, got to cramp as much in as we can in the time we have here. 100%, man. How, how soon, Nick, should somebody reach out to you, actually? when they Let's say we have a deal right now, right? We are, um, let's say Vina, first perfect example, right? She said she's she's close to getting a deal awarded this week. Right. Is this the time where she would say, hey, Nick, I need you right now. Drop everything you've got going on. I'm the most important. <laughs> I well, Lena's raising her hand. Let's, see, let's let her answer and see what she says. I've got an answer. <laughs> Nick, where are my documents? You got them yesterday. Right? I emailed them to you yesterday. No, I want the PPM too. Coming soon. <laughs> mm. 
We so that probably answers it for you. She has already reached out to me. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, we got where we were going. getting a deal. And that evening I was like, send me your link. And by that night I had all of the information. And I actually filled out the questionnaire. You would have been so proud, Nick, if you saw it. <laughs> and then, so like literally 12 hours after I was told we were likely going to get the deal, I started moving. Boom. That's how yeah. quick. Vina's very, very confident. Um, I don't know that I necessarily would tell, especially a new person, your first deal, I probably wouldn't say to do that just yet. But what I would say is if you even get to where they say, hey, we think we're going to award you the deal, reach out. We don't necessarily need to get started yet, um, but reach out so that me and my team will be ready. We'll know that, you know, you've got something coming through the pipeline in the next week or two so that we can get going. Uh, typically, when you're getting into a real estate contract, uh, you can you can you can do the timelines however you kind of negotiate. Some people in the uh, LOI period, they'll have their due diligence in that period. Other people will have maybe some of it in the LOI and some of it after you have the PSA. In any case, I tell clients, you know, when you get the LOI accepted, just reach out and let us know so we can make sure that we're ready to get moving when in the next week or two when you are, are ready to go. And then uh, when you're going through due diligence, when you get to the point where you're like, you're not finished with due diligence, but you're like, you know what, there's, we're going to move forward. You know, there's a few things we might need to work out, maybe looking for retrading with the seller to lower the price or something we're going to work out, but we'll, I'm pretty confident we'll be able to work it out. That's when you want us to actually get going. Don't wait until the due diligence is done and you say good. You you know about a week beforehand whether you're going to you know back out based upon due diligence or not. And so if you're at that point a week before and you're like, yep, I'm, we're, we're good, we're moving forward, reach out to us and that's when we should start, start moving forward. Uh, it takes us... We so we've done a syndication as quickly as 10 days before. We don't tell clients we'll do that. It was <laughs> the office was in chaos. It was one that's happening right before Christmas break. And I was just like, hey, if you guys can do this, well, it'll just be added to your bonuses. But we're not, we don't do 10 days. Three weeks we can do very comfortably though. Um, now what usually ends up happening is it usually ends up taking about four to six weeks because we can do it as quickly as three weeks in most cases. But if we need a document or we ask you a question and it takes you a day or two to get back to us, that's just gonna be a day or two that adds to the timeline. So realistically, typically clients are wrapping up in about four to six weeks. Um, a very motivated client can get um, get it wrapped up a lot closer to that three week, three week mark. Um, if it's taking longer than six weeks, it's just because the client doesn't need it in a rush and that's perfectly fine with us. Um, but yeah, if it's any longer than six weeks, it's, it's typically not on our end, it's the client, which again, if you don't have a rush, then we don't have to be rushed either. And your your questionnaire, uh, Nick, that you spoke about the uh, initial questionnaire, right? I mean that that that's a solid document too. That's not that simple, I think, for a first timer to fill out. I I think I believe I saw you on a Zoom where you went through it probably a couple months ago. Was was with with Vina, I think. And uh, I think so. that thing uh, I would always recommend nowadays for people to get started on that questionnaire rather sooner than later, because on the, fir the first go around, that thing uh, is, is not an easy one. And I think uh, you guys, I think you guys did a Zoom on that, you and Vina. I think so, yeah, I, I think, think so we did. too. It's probably, it's probably in your vault, Vina. So for everyone that, uh, that wants to look into that more deep, because we only have 15 minutes left, guys, by the way. Uh, if you wanna go deeper into everything that we've just talked about, Make sure you you reach out to Vina and her vault and her community there because she's got everything, everything in there, right? When it comes to uh, how to blame Nick, 
<laughs> that's right. Actually, actually, that's I'm working on the links. Vina and I have been doing some work in the background right here while y'all been talking <laughs> shop. So, so just in a couple of minutes, everybody, all the links to all the good stuff uh, that that Nick and Vina are doing as far as man sharpening your skill set, getting better educated. I'm telling you, understanding accredited and non-accredited investors, understanding 506B, 506C. All this stuff that, that is absolutely essential when it comes to executing on a multifamily real estate transaction. You want to know this stone cold. Um, so heads up, everybody, those links, all those links are coming in the next couple of minutes. Cool. Good stuff there. All right, Trevor, do we want to flip the switch here and open it up to every single part, uh, one of the participants here to fire away their questions at Nick? I can't imagine. I can't imagine that there's no more questions than the one Jonathan is having for the past 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's do a Q&A, guys, for, for the remainder of the time. Th Nick, thank you so much for, for everything you've shared so far. That's, that's the thing, man. I feel like on these things, you can sit here for three hours, right? And you can just continuously keep going, roll through. That's why I was so freaking really pissed off that I couldn't attend our pre-meeting and since I was in the air, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was upset, but so yes, like Trevor said, upset. we were getting pumped and activated yeah. back on was that Wednesday. We were ready. Come on, man. We were. Man, and, and I, I, I mean, obviously we, we spoke once before, right? And then I saw you with, with Vina and everything. And I, and I had some, my fair share, share of experiences with uh, syndication attorneys and real estate attorneys. And usually, you know, I'm, I'm very loose, loose goose, you know, I like to be uh, very normal and not like stuck up, right? And I drop a couple of jokes here and there. These folks are no fun, man. You know, they, they don't smile, <laughs> they don't smile, man. So that's why I was like, man, you know, with Nick, that would be a, a fun one. But uh, nevertheless, I know you had a good time. All right. <laughs> you hit on something that I think this is important for entrepreneurs to remember, you know, it, to me, anyway, it's not success if I, you know, have a firm that's growing and big and making all this money, but then I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. And so the reason I'm able to joke is just, you know, that's how I am naturally. I like like to have fun, like to keep things light. And granted, I know the stuff that I'm dealing with is very serious. But when I'm talking with you guys, we're we're communicating, we're relating with each other. When I if you see me when I'm actually drafting the PPM, yeah, I'm very serious, very focused. Um, but outside of that, I'm like I like interacting with the clients. I like being able to figure out what is their goals and me having a small part in helping them get there. Um, and so I say when we're doing that, I, I know that you guys are a lot of times scared or like I don't know what's going on. And I'm like I got you. Chill out. Let's let's yeah. let it flow. Um, and so if I was all stuffy and stuff, you're gonna mirror that energy. And I'd say, none of us need to be stuffy. Let's keep it light. I'll be the serious one in the background so that we can all have a good time and make sure that we're, as we're doing, going towards this grind and this hustle, that we're also actually enjoying what we're doing. So I think that's that's very important. I, I fully agree. It also creates a sense of trust, to be honest with you, right? Like if, if you feel like you don't connect with somebody, at least on somewhat on a personal level, and they provide a service to you, and the, the, there's the trust level, usually fairly slim, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, quick to keep harping on relationship. It is a relationship. I'm going to be working with you. And so as much as I am trying to build my client and want new business and all of that, I also am interviewing the client as well. Because if, you know, if, if, if my 
a lighthearted approach is a problem for you, I'd say maybe we are not a good uh, match and that's perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to work with somebody where I'm constantly, where they're tight and now I'm feeling that as well. And again, if that's how you are, um, there's there is an attorney out there for you, but I just want to, I always make sure that I'm being my real self and, and being how I'm going to show up when I'm working with you so that, you know, if that is a problem with you, we'll know that early on and that's great. We don't have to work together. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm necessarily the attorney for everybody. And that's perfectly okay. Yeah, no, I fully agreed. Fully agreed. I can tell you, you'd definitely be the right attorney for the MFC community. No doubt. <laughs> I love it. Facts, facts, bro. <laughs> love it. All right. Let's, 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 uh, let's get going with the Q and A. Jonathan is up first. So let me pull him up here. Jonathan, the spotlight is on you. What's up, brother? How are you guys? Amazing. I'll type no see. Yes. Thanks for doing. Yeah, I, I, I've been busy with Edward in the background, so Good. I might not be here. But me and Ed are burning, burning the, the road. So, go. a lot of analysis. Um, I'm actually digging around getting private financing right now. I know he is as well. And what I wanted to know if you could kind of, I was to, I was to ask you to kind of outline the basic steps that we're going to go through the, you know, the basic steps, you know, first we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. Then this is going to happen. And then that. how many steps are there <clears throat> to get the, uh, to get the investment completely underwritten with an, with an SEC filing? What are the basic steps that we're going through? Okay, so I can only talk to the legal part. So we don't help with the underwriting. We'll review it. Um, but I just know the very surface level stuff. So when we look at underwriting, I'm just looking for major outliers. But you you want somebody who's uh, who's who works specifically in that to do that. But as far as kind of the securities paperwork, um, a lot of this stuff goes on in the background. So if you're to work with us, what we do is we get you onboarded. So you would uh, sign a service agreement. You'd submit payments. Um, and then Marcel mentioned that questionnaire. We have a questionnaire. It's about 50 to 60 questions. So it's not lost on us that it's a, that's a lot. Um, but it, that is all info that we're going to need at some point. So we try to get as much of it up front so that we can start doing all that stuff in the background. So once we get that questionnaire, the first thing that we're going to do is create your entities. So we, we like to use a two LLC structure. One LLC is the, uh, the LLC that the investors invest into. The second LLC manages that first one. And we do it that way so that everybody, even you guys as managers, have limited liability protection. So first thing we'll do is get those entities up and running. And then the second thing that we start doing is uh, drafting the private placement memorandum. And so uh, my team and I start drafting it. And then uh, once we've got the entities formed, while we're still drafting, we start the process of the SEC filings as well. Uh, there's, if you're doing a syndication, there's at least two filings that we have to do. And so we start that process while the PPM is being drafted. Then we send that PPM, the draft to you. And many times we might have some questions or we might say, hey, we put this here, but you've got options. Let's talk through it. Uh, we might highlight certain areas. You're going to read through it. You're probably going to have some questions as well. And so uh, once, once you reviewed it, then we'll uh, hop on a call or a video chat and we'll talk through everything. And uh, me and my team will be taking notes. And so then we'll get you another draft. And uh, usually that gets us where we need to be. Um, in the meantime, we have some other SEC filings that are taking place as well. And uh, when we get you that second draft, if you have more questions or edits, 
then we'll get you a, a, an additional draft as well. And then from there, once we have the PPM finalized, you're at the point where you can start taking in capital. And so uh, the PPM documents are pretty long. We give you instructions as to like where you need to sign, where your investors need to sign. Um, and then you have everybody sign and then they start uh, taking in, you start taking in the funds. When you are taking in funds, we also, typically we deal with federal securities laws so we don't have to follow each state's laws. However, there's something called blue sky notice filings and those must be filed within 15 days of when you receive funds in a given state. So if I get an investor in California on April 1st, I'd have to file that blue sky notice by April 15th. Um, so you've got to do that once per state, but for each state where you have an investor, you have to do that. So that usually takes place kind of on the back end. Um, but that's one thing that you want to be cognizant of because it can get very expensive. We tell clients estimate that the blue sky notice filings are going to be about $600 per state where you have an investor, um, but it varies. Most states are between $1 and $500. There's a handful that are in the $1,000 range. So if you look out and get all the cheap ones, it might be way less. If you get the expensive ones, it might be a bit more. Um, but even if you're estimating, you know, six, uh, $600 per state at, you know, 10 states, that's an additional six grand right there. So we always tell clients about that because that's a big expense that you're going to have kind of on the back end. Um, and I guess I'll segue this into, um, there's a question, you know, how do we pay for the attorney or what have you? So with the blue sky notice filing fees, you're taking that after you've gotten funds. So you can use the funds you received to pay for that expense. Uh, regarding how you pay us, we do charge up front, um, but you, you are able to reimburse yourself for all the expenses that you have. So you pay us up front, and then once you start raising capital, you can reimburse yourself for any expenses that you pay to me or an accountant or anybody like that as well. Man, love it. <clears throat> Jonathan, I think Jonathan, you're on you, mute. Jonathan, you're muted already because we only have to can allow one question so everyone can get to ask a question. <laughs> 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 but feel free to feel free to throw it in the Facebook group or so or contact Nick directly and we'll make sure you get an answer if you have more. Yeah. All righty. Appreciate the, the question. Awesome answer, Nick, man. We have Lene. What's up, Lene? Hello. Hello. Hi. There you are. <laughs> I'm Lene Anderson and I live in Boynton Beach, Florida. And so as I understand, you can do this in any state. You're you're good with that. You have no problems. Yes, we're doing a federal securities law. So I have clients all across the country doing that. Okay. I came from the state of Washington. So from Long nice. Beach, Washington. <laughs> Not too far. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> so because I am um looking for apartment complexes to purchase and I will need some partners. So if I have get a couple of partners, I have, would have to fill out one of the forms. I mean, become a syndicate person then, right? Or is that necessary? Are, are these partners that are going to help you run this? Or are these just partners that are solely investing? <sighs> well, if they're close, they could help run it. But if they're not, it would be just investing. So yeah, if you have somebody who's just investing, it's likely that you're running a syndication. Okay. That's when you reach out to Nick. That's when I reach out to Nick. 
<laughs> All right. One small follow-up with that too is that one thing to understand is that if you're you know acquiring, especially with a multifamily, you're typically going to have a transaction attorney that's helping you with the actual acquisition. And then you'll have an, a syndication attorney that's helping with the capital raise. Sometimes those might be the same person, but no, those are two separate roles. And so for the syndication side, we do that across uh, the country. For the transaction side to help you acquire, so to write that LOI, to write the PSA, to work with the lender, um, that I, I'm licensed in California and Washington, so I only do that in those states. I'm um, just something to keep in oh, mind. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Mm -hmm. You're very welcome. Thank you, Lenny. And Nick, what you uh, have told us the last time, which I liked, is although you might just be licensed in California and Washington on the transactional side, right? Um, that doesn't mean that you don't have partners in other states, right? That you like Correct. or prefer to work with. Because one thing that's important, obviously, is that the team that you assemble for your deal or for your acquisition somewhat works well with one another, right? Mm -hmm. If your syndication attorney is not working well with your, do we want to call it a tra trans transaction attorney? Yeah, a transaction attorney. Yeah, then that that can be quite problematic, I would assume, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool all right let's uh, get i think we have only one more question here and uh, i see that's another community leader here what's up ed how are you doing bro what up everyone hope you guys are doing well um i have uh, actually i didn't know nick you were based in los angeles i live in burbank actually so uh we should definitely we should definitely connect um but uh i know i'm gonna limit it to my one question when purchasing the title or, or purchasing the LLC that owns the property. Um, Cause I have a crazy one here in LA that I'm kind of negotiating still. Um, and the, uh, the tax benefits, which is a big component of it. Do you, do you have to do anything different with the document or is that something that should be mentioned? Like, hey, you have to follow different steps now because of you're doing the LLC and not the property. As far as the syndication side, there's not a lot. There might be some additional uh, risk factors and warnings that we put in. Um, but on the acquisition side, your due diligence is going to be a bit different. You're going to obviously do the due diligence on the property, but you also have to do it on the entity because you're buying the entity. So you don't want to buy an entity that, that owns a property, but then has a random million dollars of debt that you didn't know about because now that's yours. Um, so yeah, the acquisition is going to be quite a bit different. The syndication portion it won't, won't change dramatically. There'll be some small differences, but no major but, but will that affect how the partnership or where the investors are, what part they play in ownership if they are equity owners? Not necessarily. It just depends on how you structure it. Uh, so oh, I mentioned okay. that we set it up as two, um, two LLCs, you know, a manager and then the investor one. Sometimes there's a third one that actually is the title holder. So there, there's a LLC that owns title that's owned by the investor entity. And then that they're both managed by the management entity. So in your scenario, I'd probably set up that way to where the one you're acquiring is the title holder. And then we have those two LLCs kind of above it. Um, that's likely how I would set that up. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh oh, did my 
I was doing uh, Marcel's. Uh, Marcel's. Mic. Oh, okay. I was like, I was like, did my, my audio go out? <laughs> I was, I was just lip singing, lip singing. <laughs> you had us all full, man. I was like, what is happening here? My earbuds are tripping. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, Nick, uh, thanks so much for your time. I think that was the last question. We're, we're two minutes past 10 o'clock. I think that's still fair and square to say that we're on time. The next thing we're going to do here is we, we'll, we'll introduce, uh, obviously, our, our next uh, celebrity guest for next week. But before we do that, guys, one thing we always do, you know, you know how I roll. We want to make sure we share some love and some attention also to our celebrity guests. And the way we do that is, We take our iPhones, right? Everyone has one or whatever communication device you use for your social media channels. And you take a picture of this right now and we're all going to be like, yay, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Now you took the picture. Let's go, Nick, Nick, Nick. Just blame Nick. Always blame Nick. (laughs) Don't get sued. Don't get screwed. Remember. And what you're going to do with that now, obviously, you go to your favorite social media outlet. Nick has uh, has Instagram as well. I think Caleb was throwing his handles in the chat as well. Make sure you throw something in there, post a story, whatever it is. Copy Nick in there or tag him in there. You can tag us as well, and we'll share it, of course, as well. And let's give him some love and some attention. And remember, I shared a secret trick the other day. Was it last week or two weeks before? Obviously, you give the person that you tag a lot of attention for your channels, right? But usually, people appreciate it so much that they reshare what you've did. And now, all of a sudden, you are exposed to their network, which likely is a bigger one because, after all, they are our celebrity guests. So there is a win-win situation as well, right? So don't, don't forget about it. You still have the chance to take that picture and make something out of it. And let's share some love with Nick here. But... Uh, With that being said, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Trevor, do you have any last words as well? Man, this was this was off the charts, Nick. Appreciate you so much, man. Uh, our hour with you went by too fast, but and we're looking forward to a lot of collaboration with you down the road and, and, and with the Freedom Chasers community even at large. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all for having me. This is an awesome community. So thank you for welcoming me in and happy to come back anytime you guys want. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm at Nick the Lawyer on all social media. Um, also, if you like this, make sure you're plugging in with the Freedom Chasers. Also, Vina has a uh, mastering multifamily with Vina Jetty, uh, where she does lots of education. And then I also, within that, have Nick's legal lessons, where we'll spend like an hour or two kind of diving into one specific topic. Um, so lots of ways to contact, lots of ways to connect. So I'm looking forward to building more relationships with all of you. Fantastic. And, and right Caleb, Caleb, Caleb will drop the link one more time again. Oh, yeah, there we go. Vina just dropped it right there with their educational uh, access. Click click on the top, log in, set up your account, and then you can dive into all the good stuff there. <laughs>